Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. But <laughs> Fins up. Welcome to another episode of Locked on Dolphins. I am Kyle Krabs, your host, managing editor of USA Today's Dolphins Wire, senior NFL draft analyst at thedraftnetwork.com, diehard Dolphins fan, and your MC on your podcast today, which make no mistake, power to the pod is all about the power to you, power to the people. Clever podcast, Dolphins pod pun intended welcome uh, my shameless plug yesterday worked quite well i got a number of reviews on the podcast that included questions so we're going to tackle those first today um starting first and foremost with jb calhoun spoiled fence fan if the dolphins trade up to grab a quarterback, whether that quarterback is Joe Burrow or Tua. When would you expect that trade to happen? I'm curious if it happens soon or on draft night. That's a great question. So there continue to be rumblings and rumors and murmurs and whispers and so on and so forth that the Dolphins are going to continue to try to give the Cincinnati Bengals the uh, Larry Tunsil treatment in which they continue calling and... <laughs> Hope they can change their mind as far as crafting a draft pick proposal that would pull the Cincinnati Bengals out of the number one pick. Nothing concrete, no formal reports, but the whispers are persistent enough where it's like we, we can't just let this die yet with the draft you know, on the horizon. About three and a half weeks. When will this trade happen? If the Bengals agree to a deal, you say yes immediately and you get the deal processed. Because I think if you give the Bengals more time to think about it, odds are the Bengals are probably going to change their mind and would not be interested uh, in the long run in, in conducting a trade of Joe Burrow. Uh, interestingly enough, I did put out a poll yesterday. I, I polled hashtag Bengals fans and I polled hashtag Dolphins fans and I asked specifically, uh, would you rather have Joe Burrow or three first-round picks, one of those picks being at five and presumably another quarterback? And like two-thirds of Dolphins fans said they'd rather have the three first-round picks, and 80% of Bengals fans said they would rather have Joe Burrow. So it doesn't seem like from the fan base side there's a lot of traction for this either way. But bear in mind, the teams do not care what you think, and they're going to do whatever they want to do. Um, another question. Do you think it's a possibility of Tua and Burrow going before the Dolphins pick at five? Who would we pick at five if that were the case? Do you think we could trade back with a team like the Jags or Raiders? Uh, that's from Dylan. Understandably, the narrative around the Dolphins right now is all about the quarterback position because this is what this process has been about, was positioning this team to draft a quarterback. Would I take the possibility of them not going quarterback at five completely off the table? No. I'm not dumb enough to know you never say never with the NFL draft, especially in a weird year like this year. Never say never. If the Dolphins have 
Burrow and, and Tua both off the board when they pick at five. I would anticipate they stick to their guns. They take the other highly rated quarterback. Uh, I do believe the reports that are out that the Dolphins have three highly rated quarterbacks in this year's NFL draft. The two that would be hypothetically gone in this scenario and Oregon's Justin Herbert. By the way, Matt Miller from Bleacher Report shared yesterday that he has heard from multiple teams that they have Herbert over Tua based on medical questions for Tua. I'm just saying, you know, since I've come on Locked on Dolphins, I've tried to be a proponent of don't marry yourself to a single outcome. There is a chance Tua is gone by the time Miami picks. There is a chance Miami commits to not trading up and somebody else trades up in front of them. There is a chance the Dolphins pass on Tua altogether because of his medical questions with his hip and not having their doctors get a chance to get their hands on. So just mentally prepare yourself because it's it's hard to say definitively. There's still three weeks is a lot of time. But Dylan, to answer your question, I I think the Dolphins would stay at five and draft their other highly rated quarterback because the report is that they have three highly rated quarterbacks. Last take from the iTunes questions here on Power to the Pod. This is from Josh. Wanted to ask your reaction if the Dolphins drafted Jordan Love at five if two was gone. Okay, so. Jordan Love. I like Jordan. I like Jordan's skill set a lot. I think Jordan, in most classes is a top 12 pick. Uh, I'm not overly scared off by the concern the ball security questions. His supporting cast was terrible at Utah State. You put on the film and you're watching this dude's drilling ball, balls that are hit, would hit guys in the heads if they didn't get their hands up in front of it, but they can't catch it. Like two drop touchdowns against LSU... Bunch of his turnovers came out as a result of either poor adjustments by his receivers or balls that glanced off the hands of his wide receivers and got tipped up in the year. Better supporting cast, Jordan Love's touchdown interception ratio is much better. Utah State lost a ton from 2018 to 2019. I do think he is the most high variance of the quarterbacks. He is the one that has the most boom or bust potential. Do I feel like the Dolphins make a lot of sense for him based on what we anticipate they're going to be doing with their offense? Not necessarily. I think he's he's kind of a get outside the pocket, a lot of deep shots, push the ball. I feel like that's where Jordan Love shines. Jordan Love's a quarterback that shines most outside of structure versus inside structure. Outside of structure, it becomes pitch and catch. He can get outside the pocket, look downfield. He can see receivers uncovering, and he can hit all areas of the field with his arm. When you ask him to play in rhythm, he misses a lot of little things. The good news if they went that direction is whoever they pick at quarterback is probably going to be facing a redshirt year in 2020 with Ryan Fitzpatrick still on the roster. Would I love it at five? No, but it's only because I don't think you have to take him at five. If you're going to pick Jordan Love, if two is gone and, and Love's going to be your guy, not Justin Herbert, try and move back. Take it. Take somebody. Take one of these offensive tackles at five and then trade up from 18. 
if that's your methodology. I don't know, I'm sure you could work a deal with the Cleveland Browns at 18 or at 10 to move back to 18. They got uh, Paul De Podesta's in the building there now, uh, kind of going back towards the Sashi Brown style, not to the same degree of, of insanity in which we saw the Browns do it with Sashi Brown, but probably going to covet picks by volume approach. So if you're going to pick Jordan Love, don't pick him at five. I, th- I think that's a little bit premature. I think the Dolphins have enough capital at their disposal that they could get creative if they wanted to, uh, to materialize that collection and get a really good offensive tackle to play in front of it too. Listen up. To get fit in 2020, you don't have to join a gym or pay a ton for an overpriced fitness equipment. The best way to get in shape is with Echelon. Go to echelonfit.com to discover their X1 connected fitness bikes that offer a high-quality at-home cycling experience at less than half of the price of a Peloton. Echelon makes beautifully engineered products for everyone, busy moms and dads, first responders, and elite athletes, whatever your activity level is. And with daily live and on-demand studio classes right in your own home, you'll never have to step foot in a gym. You'll love Echelon. But if you weren't 100% satisfied, they'll give you your money back. Join the hundreds of thousands of men and women who are getting fit with Echelon. Don't pay a ton for a Peloton. Buy an Echelon bike today for under $1,000. Go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-F-L to learn about their limited time free Apple iPad and complete details of this exclusive offer. Echelon, it's your time. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com slash L-O-N-F-L. Echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-F-L. Flipping the switch, heading over to Twitter. Got 37 questions on Twitter. Bless you, people. <laughs> Dolphins fanatics. Uh, Dolphins Argentina had an interesting one. Having Kyle Van Noy, would you trade Jerome Baker for a late second rounder? I think he got blocked too often last year in run defense. It was not a big factor in the passing game. Maybe specializing will help him have a breakthrough. Listen, I thought Jerome Baker played really good football last year. When you consider, again, the supporting cast, the the talent on the defense probably asked Jerome, forced Jerome to be asked to do some things that ideally aren't in his wheelhouse. So you mentioned specialization. I don't think it's specialization. I think it's more complementary players around him. It's like pass rush. You know, people talked about Christian Wilkins and how slow he was to get started as a rookie. Well, They had no pass rush threat off the outside. And as such, that allowed teams to create more congestion and chaos in the middle. It's like Michael Dieter at left guard. Michael Dieter did not have a good rookie season. He played next to a soft anchor, Daniel Kilgore, who got cut, or did not have his club option exercise, excuse me, and a turnstile of revolving door players at left tackle. If the stability around you is not good, if you don't have complementary pieces around you, it's very difficult to play to the best of your ability. So I don't think adding Kyle Van Noy makes Jerome Baker expendable. I think Jerome Baker is a long-term piece, and I think Jerome Baker ideally now gets to work more out in space. He made some big impact plays in the passing game. He just didn't have the chance to have the stats to show for it because there were defensive penalties by teammates that negated two interceptions of his. I think Baker will be fine, but he's much more of a space linebacker 
And with the Dolphins being so thin last year, it forced him to play a number of different roles and, and play in different scenarios that probably didn't play to the best of his strengths, but supply and demand. And that's why the Dolphins, you saw them go out and really invigorate the linebacker group with Kyle Van Noy and Elan and Roberts and uh, Gruger Hill in free agency. I don't think that should be slept on for the Dolphins, and I don't think that makes Jerome Baker expendable. Take from Tom. I know death taxes and Tom giving me a question here for Power to the Pot. With the Dolphins spending so big in free agency, do you think guys like Godshall might have to wait another year for their new contract? Feels like a deserving player. Yes, Godshall is definitely a deserving player of a second contract. I would expect we wait. Well, I guess it depends on how many picks they end up logging in the draft. If they take all 14 picks and they make all 14 picks and you're down to like $6 million in cap space, I think that may exacerbate the uh, the Albert Wilson deal and get him off the roster to free up an extra 10. Uh, but I definitely think this is a good point here, Tom, and that the timing of their contract extensions is going to have to come with some strategy at this point. I do think they're well-positioned to take care of their guys, and as long as they get them taken care of before the open market starts. Lock your guys in before they hit the open market. Godshall, they may end up hammering out a deal throughout the course of the season, provided they open up the space to do so. Whether that's cutting Albert Wilson or restructuring Albert Wilson or, or whatever. But yeah, I think you'll. You, I don't think you'll see a big contract extension like we saw from Xavier uh, Howard, in part because they don't need to, and in part because you know Godshall is a rotational. Uh, he's probably going to be more of a, a niche player, early down player for this overhaul Dolphins defense. Um, I don't think he's going to command a ton of money. Thomas Wood with a great question. Would the current global pandemic state have any effect on the Dolphins draft plans? No Finn's medical on Tua and his hip. Non-combine pro day players only. Yes, absolutely. I, I think anytime you see fluctuation outside of the norms and change. You know, this could be economics. This could be as it pertains to the NFL draft. You see people that buy and people that sell. And I think you'll see a lot of NFL teams that are looking to sell because they don't check all the boxes. Where do the Dolphins fall on that spectrum is the great question. The Dolphins could be more aggressive to go up and get a guy like Joe Burrow excuse me, the Dolphins may be more aggressive to go up and try and get a guy like Joe Burrow because he doesn't have the medical questions. And if the proposition is, well, we can trade up to three or two to take Tua, or we can give up more and trade up to one and get Joe Burrow, why would we not give up the extra when we know what we're getting with Joe Burrow versus the questions with the health of Tua? I absolutely think the COVID-19 scenario in this country and across the planet right now, as the league continues to try to run business as usual, teams are not going to operate in the draft like business as usual. You'll see teams probably punting picks to 2021. Say, we want to make our picks when we know what's happening and we know the players better. And that opportunity comes if everybody's trying to sell the demand and the cost to move up and be aggressive decreases. The Dolphins having all these chips, they're, they're 
big chip stack. That would be good news for them if they want to be aggressive. Gregorly, what is your take on Austin Jackson versus A.J. Epinesa? He managed A.J.'s power without proper technique, showing some bad habits with waist bending and outside hand position. Agree with your assessment of the game, but was beaten with speed surprisingly on that play that resulted in the strip sack. So if you're not familiar, Austin Jackson, USC, A.J. Epinesa, defensive end, Iowa, they played each other in the bowl game. Prominent matchup of two guys that are generally considered to be top 40 picks. Top 50 picks, maybe after Epinesa's combine. I did not think Austin Jackson played overly well in this football game, and a guy like Epinesa, who's fairly polished, um, who doesn't have an explosive athletic profile, but does have good functional strength in his game, kind of whooped up on Jackson a little bit in a way that Jackson survived, but Jackson was constantly in recovery mode and constantly chasing the block. I think more than anything else, that game showed Jackson's ability to frame blocks is questionable and something that needs to get better. And it was certainly an exclamation point for me in evaluating Austin Jackson as a potential first-round pick for the Dolphins to say, well, oh, first round's probably a little rich. And I get with, with tools, teams overdraft offensive tackles all the time. It's how you saw Titus Howard go to the Houston Texans in the first round last year. And then suddenly four months later, they're trading two ones and, and a two to go get Laramie Tunsil because they realized, oh shoot, maybe we should, maybe we should have got somebody who's a little bit more ready to play. They ended up kicking him inside. They moved to right tackle. It was a whole, whole to do. Uh, Kevin with an interesting counterpoint here. Uh, you often say, I'm going to give this staff the benefit of the doubt based on last year's player development. Two concerns that Kevin has with this point of view. Almost entirely new coaching staff with little NFL experience other than Shane Gailey. And zero development in Josh Rosen. Do either of those worry me? No, because you're not going to bat a thousand. So as far as Josh Rosen, I think Josh is an interesting case of... You can't... First of all, we didn't really see what the development was on Josh Rosen once they yanked him. Well, the, the coaching staff seemed to have good things to say about him. But I would be really interested down the line to find out if we had any input that this Patriots-style offense with the total control that you get at the line of scrimmage, if that overwhelmed Josh Rosen. Because Josh Rosen couldn't even call mic protections and set protections. And now you're going to expect him within eight months in his sixth offense in five years or whatever to have total control of an offense to set protections, ID mics, ID defenses, ID coverages, create audibles in the routes at the line of script. It's That's a lot. So the, the Rosen thing doesn't scare me, and the no development in Roseman, if you were going to call it an indictment of the coaching staff, would be an indictment of quarterbacks coach and the offensive coordinator, neither of which are either here. So that part of it, I think, is a moot point. Uh, the new coaching staff, I think, is also relevant, but it all stems from the umbrella of what the Dolphins are trying to do under Brian Flores. Biggest thing I've learned in working in football media is good NFL head coaches are not X's and O's necessarily. They are CEOs. They set the tone for their organization. They set the organization in a way in which everybody operates 
on the same wavelength. And that's something that we've seen this constant push and pull and tug with amongst Dolphins head coaches going all the way back to Tony Sperano and Jeff Ireland. And then working through uh, when Joe Philbin was here and Mike Sherman was his offensive coordinator. And they had to like beg Philbin to fire Sherman because he wanted to work with Sherman, but Sherman's go cadence or snap cadence for runs was go and pass was go, go. And everybody has to all be on the same page. And I think that's the biggest thing with Brian Flores. Brian Flores is willing to look outside the box to find coaches that coach and teach in a way that meshes with what he wants his organization to run like. So it is a viable point that there's a lot of coaching turnover, but there's also a lot of player turnover. You're probably going to see 50-60% of the roster new again this year. So it's not like there's a continuity issue. And I think those those factors make it more about Brian Flores' coaching style and his mentality of how he wants to run his team that will give me patience and the benefit of the doubt to say if every if he's making coaching staff changes that are bringing people in to all be on the same page whatever they collectively as a group deem is the direction that's right for this team to go Brian Flores has earned that benefit of the doubt for me at this point in time the greasy bastard wants to know if there's a package of picks that can land us a Deshaun Watson. I wish. I would troll Bill O'Brien so hard. I'd call him up. Hey, see, you guys are dumping good players for nothing. You want your picks back for Deshaun? Let's see what he says. I doubt Deshaun Watson's going anywhere. Teams don't let players like that leave. A special football player. Perhaps... My favorite question ever in the history of Power to the Pod from Noah. Does Gronkowski have the angle? And the answer is definitively no. Gronkowski does have a face full of Hard Rock Stadium turf. But no, he does not have the angle. And take from Kevin. Uh, what would it take for Miami to make the playoffs this upcoming season? Do you think the Dolphins are ahead of schedule or on expected schedule to be a near playoff contender? I think the departure of Tom Brady kind of opens the door for the rest of the AFC East. I think the Dolphins being as aggressive as they are makes for a compelling argument and, and a team that will be playing a last play schedule in 2020. I think there's a realistic chance this team pushes for an above 500 season. I don't want to get the expectations out of control, uh, but I do certainly think the expectation within the building is going to be to have a winning season this year. Will that make the playoffs? I don't know. I mean, they're, they're, we're still making sure that we're going to have that seventh playoff spot. I think that is another sleeper to consider here too, where you'll see much more teams at eight and eight, nine and seven sneaking in the playoffs. Uh, I think they are right on schedule. I don't want to go crazy here and start talking about AFC's championships and stuff like that, but like the door is at least open now. Dad Marino, I know you like Jeremy Chin. Move the sticks with Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks. Discussed him either being first or second safety off the board. Thoughts? Do you see more valuable at getting a safety at 39 or 56 instead of McDel or Delpit, McKinney, or possibly Chin at 18-26? Listen, if Chin's there at 39, I don't feel bad about it. If Delpit's there at 26, 
I don't feel bad about it. If McKinney's there at 26, I don't feel bad about it. Where's the value best? 18's kind of the no man's land, to be honest with you. I think you're going to get a lot of good options. If the Dolphins choose to not get cute and they want to take an offensive tackle at 18, and either of those guys there at 26, they're plug-and-play starters. Just take them. I don't have a problem with it. Unless you get like Cesar Ruiz on the board. My pipe dream is quarterback and two offensive linemen in the first round. I don't think it'll happen. But if the Dolphins want a J.K. Dobbins, either 29 or 30, 26 or 39 is going to have to go to him. You want an offensive tackle, you're going to have to invest 18 or 26 to him. You want a starting safety, either 26, 18, or 39 is going to have to go to him. I think 56 is like Ashton Davis territory. And I'd be good with that if that's what it came down to. If you gave me three combination of three at the other three picks that, that came away with a running back, preferably 39, and either two offensive linemen or a safety and an offensive lineman, I think that's probably the best combination of picks that we could cook up. Aside from safety and nose tackle, this is from Layton, where, is there anywhere on the defense that Miami should look to add someone? I think corner. I, I think this team is going to play a ton of sub packages, and, and you know that, that may involve three safeties. It may involve three or four corners at times, and I think you can't have enough depth there. So Byron Jones, Xavier Howard, Nick Needham, Maybe Bobby McCain if you get a free safety. Uh, I would expect a day three corner at some point. Maybe third round if they get a really good value for a player. Insurance policy for X. I think it's at least worth considering, worth discussing. I wouldn't marry myself to it. If you guys have listened to these podcasts at all, you will be completely unsurprised to find out that I'm not going to get enough time for everybody's questions. But here's the good news. Uh, for the ones that I don't hit here real quick, uh, make sure you swing over to Dolphins Wire uh, because I'm going to use some of your questions as writing topics for today and tomorrow and, and make sure that you know these, these a lot of people bringing, bringing a lot of great, compelling conversation pieces uh, to the table as it relates to the Dolphins. Uh, so I want to tackle those as much as possible and make sure that uh, your voices are being heard in the space. So that's, you know, if I don't get your question, swing over and check out Dolphins Wire because odds are over the next day or so, I'm probably going to write on a lot of these topics. Uh, Mr. C, does Bobby McCain still fit in the longer-term plans on this team? I think so. Uh, I think the versatility he provides by playing both safety and nickel corner is of value. I think those are the kinds of defenders the Dolphins are going to want because it allows them, again, to, to be multiple in the back end. If you missed the defensive haves and have-nots episode from last week, recommend going back and listening to that because I talked about the dynamics of the secondary and what the value is in having multiple pieces that can do multiple things and, and play multiple responsibilities without having to change your personnel. Jeff Kerr, have you watched the two full Ted Karras right guard games from 2018 weeks 9 and 10 versus the Packers and Titans? I think he looks better there than he did at center in 2019. Balance seems more stable. How do you feel about this? Can we try Dieter at center? I think the Dolphins are going to put everything on the table. I think they're going to try and find their best combination of five offensive linemen, and whatever that looks like is what they're going to roll with. Dieter can play center. Dieter played 10-plus games at center at Wisconsin. I think Dieter has the frame to play center, but if he struggled at guard, he's probably going to struggle with some of his footwork and, and the quickness of the action inside at center too because he's going to have guys in his laps right away. Uh, 
So that depends on Michael Dieter development, but I think you've got two guys in both Dieter and Karras that have center guard flexibility. And then if you draft another guy like a Cesar Ruiz, who I'm going to keep pounding the table for, so apologies in advance for the next three weeks for hearing that name over and over again, you've now got three guys for two spots. Let them compete, pick the best group, let's roll. Connors. I think the Texans are set to implode due to Bill O'Brien being awful. I agree. It's a great year to have uh, 2021 Houston Texans futures in your portfolio. Truly believe that Texans pick is going to be a top five pick minimum. I don't know about that. I still got Deshaun. Do you have the balls to go get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, regardless of who we get this year? Cardinal showing the way, question mark. I am not operating under the assumption that that's going to fall into my lap. If it does, we'll see how the quarterback play goes this year. But I do think it's worth noting that the Texans have the potential to be a much worse football team than what they were at 11 and five in 2018 and 10 and six this past year, and they were 10 and six because they sat everybody week 17. They had the the division already wrapped up, got the Titans into the playoffs. Does the signing from this is from Job Green? Does the signing of Elaine and Roberts knock Chandler Cox off the roster? No, I don't think so because Elaine and Roberts only really started getting offensive reps recently, uh, and Elan and Roberts had some of his best defensive production under Brian Flores. I think he is going to come into play defensive, hybrid linebacker defender role. I don't necessarily, he might get some offensive run. I doubt it. I mean, this, this coaching staff and this front office were the ones that invested a draft pick in a fullback, and Chandler Cox is a really athletic dude for being a fullback. Last one coming down the tube. This one comes to us from Jamie Pendergast. What are your feelings on Jalen Hurts? Is it possible to draft him later and build the trenches and power game like Baltimore? I can see Gailey going old school ground game to set up play action RPO. You're absolutely right on the structure of the offense as far as what my beliefs are, what the personnel moves are indicating. Jalen Hurts would fit well within that structure. What do I feel his valuation is. I think he's a a third-round type of quarterback. I think Jalen Hurts has all of the special intangibles that you could ever possibly want in a quarterback. Hard worker, blue-collar, team leader. He's come through so much adversity, and he's overcome all of it, and he's improved as a football player. I think that's important to note as well. Uh, He has a ton of athleticism at his disposal. My only concerns with Jalen Hurts as a potential answer is the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins is Hertz is a little bit more of a visual thrower. And what I mean by that, he's more point and shoot. He's got to see it open. He doesn't throw with a ton of anticipation and he's more of a general accuracy passer than he is a pinpoint accuracy passer. So Hertz a little bit more prone to holding the ball within the pocket. You're going to get a lot more rushing production out of him because he's going to be more quick to tuck and run. He doesn't work through the full field of progressions quite with the consistency that you would like. think he's more of a developmental potential starter down the line. I do think he has that potential in him. But would I hang my hat on that? If I position my entire franchise to go out and get a quarterback, would that be the guy I would bet on as the only investment that I make at the quarterback position? No. If Jalen Hurts were to, for some reason, slide, and he's there in the fourth round, and you've picked a quarterback in the first round, draft him. I don't care. 
absolutely double dip and really feed into the competition component. Let the best man win the job. Because that seems to be when he's at his best is through competition. I think it's a, that would be the that would be the pathway for me, in my opinion, that the Dolphins end up landing Jalen Hurts. Is not he's not pegged as the answer. But if the price was right and if he happened to be available after Miami's picks in which they were expecting to get starters on their team had came and gone, then you invest in that guy and you really beef up the competition in your quarterback room. Hope you guys enjoyed Power to the Pod. It's all thanks to you. The power is in your hands. The talking points are in your hands. And I always enjoy hearing from you. So everybody who left a review and left a question, everybody who tweeted with a question, I thank you. If I did not get to your question, I promise I read them all. I really do. Like I said, swing over to DolphinsWire.com and check out some of the written content over the next two days. I'll be using you guys as inspiration for what I write about as well, not just what I talk about here on the podcast, because I want you guys to have your voices heard in the space. Till tomorrow. Thanks for listening. I'll talk with you guys again soon.